Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes from DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number 19, and we're continuing our look at the Legion of Superheroes, and we're in 1964. Next up, from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 76, is Elastic Lad Jimmy and his Legion romances. This is a nine-page story, and two-thirds of the first page is an interior cover with Saturn Girl, Triplicate Girl, and Light Lass literally fighting over Jimmy. Now, this story starts in the present day, which is, you know, April 1964, and Jimmy is prepping a a meal for his date with Lucy Lane. He's gone all out, gone broke, buying really expensive food and stuff, seeing if it'll impress Lucy, which, spoiler, it doesn't, because she's been fed by sultans, etc., and just isn't impressed with this. And then afterwards, it's like, well, what are we going to do for entertainment? And it's like, go to a neighborhood movie? Because the Sultan entertained her with a special show in her honor. And Jimmy's like, well, I've got this this time monitor from the Legion. We can watch what's going on in the future. Now, there's a snowstorm going on, and on his, I guess, his terrace or balcony, out pops a Legion time bubble, and it's got Ultra Boy and Sunboy in it. They are taking him to the 30th century for an important reason. Lucy can't come. Jimmy can't because he's an honorary member. They drop him off and they've got to go run. That leaves Jimmy with Saturn Girl, Triplicate Girl, and Light Lass. Everyone else is off on various missions. And basically it comes down to the Legion Constitution. Clause 9, Subclause 12 requires honorary Legion members to take part in Legion activities at least twice a year or lose their membership. So, they've got some serum that'll give Jimmy his Elastic Lad powers back, they've even got a costume for him, and he goes on a quick little adventure with Triplicate Girl, another one with Saturn Girl, another one with Light Lass, and each one basically ends with that Legionnaire falling madly in love with Jimmy. And of course, he's kind of enjoying this, but then it gets to where he's back, and the three start literally fighting over Jimmy because they're all so madly in love. And he's like, hey, I don't want the Legion to break up because of me. I'm going back to my time. He goes and changes as, coincidentally, some boy and Ultra Boy come back to take him back to the present day. What Jimmy doesn't know is all of this was an elaborate hoax by Triplicate Girl, Saturn Girl, and Light Lass, basically to get Lucy to treat Jimmy better because she's watching on the time monitor. Jimmy gets back. Problem is, Lucy fell asleep. She wasn't watching the time monitor. Jimmy tells her what happens. She doesn't believe it at all. She thinks he's lying. And end of story. So, not really a whole lot here, but another kind of hoax, prank, or whatever that the Legion does surprisingly often at this point. And again, they're trying to help out Jimmy. And again, the honorary members have to be active twice a year or lose the membership. I'm curious how long that's actually a thing, because I think there are one or two people who become honorary members that this would cause a problem with. I'm thinking, anyways, it was a fun nine-page story in Jimmy's book. 
tying him into the Legion and reasserting his honorary membership. Next up from Adventure Comics number 320 is Revenge of the Knave from Krypton Part 1. There's a Part 2, I'll get to that in a bit. This and the second part are both written by Jerry Siegel with art by John Forte, except for the flashback, which is written by Otto Binder and art by George Papp, and that flashback I'll get to in a minute. This is a total of 17 pages. This first part is 10 pages. Two-thirds of the first page is an interior cover, and about five and a third pages is the flashback. So not a whole ton of new material in this part, but what we get is Superboy, you know, Clark Kent in Smallville High, oh, he does his homework at super speed, so as Superboy, he can fly to the future and go hang with the Legion of Superheroes. He gets there, they're doing some tryouts. This one's actually interesting for later stories. The person being tested out is Radiation Roy, and he later, I believe, becomes a Legion of Supervillains member and also a member of the Justice League of Earth in the Retro Boot era, which, as I'm recording this, is one of the things we're talking about on the book club. And it's interesting because here, his backstory is he inherited a fortune, and he's spending it on experiments on himself to give him powers. Now, he's getting the ability to emanate paralyzing radiation, because, yeah, that's a great power for a hero. He wants to join the Legion, is what it comes down to. He gets there, he's showing off his powers, something goes wrong, maybe he's nervous, whatever. He can't shut the powers off. Fortunately, they're not impacting Superboy, who flies him away while he gets his power under control, and nobody's hurt. And Roy realizes he's failed the test, he's got to master his abilities better, or he might do more harm than good. So he actually takes the rejection fairly well, making him becoming a villain later a little odd. Now, there's also a little bit of business on, hey, their jet belts have a new ability, and we see three sunboys. One's a robot, one's an android, one's human, so presumably the real one. Press a button on another guy's belt, in this case Monel's, and it causes an aura to appear around the human to differentiate them from duplicates that are robots or androids. I didn't realize this was much of a problem, but okay. Surprised he can't tell an android and a robot apart. I'm surprised they didn't describe the difference between them. The other thing that's really interesting in light of what's going on with the story I'm reading for the book club of Superman and the Legion of Superheroes, here they've got a secret device they've created, a character analysis monitor. It can focus on somebody without their knowledge and reveal if their psyche is good or evil. Now, what makes this interesting is they reveal later that some of the people were rejected from the Legion, not just because of their power set, because there are other people like, say, Bouncing Boy, who maybe shouldn't have gotten in because of their powers, but they can get rejected if they're just not a good person. This device would certainly explain how they could tell that. However, in the Superman and the Legion story, they basically say, well, it was Saturn Girl who was scanning them and figuring this out, which kind of goes against how she operated. This makes a little more sense, particularly if she wasn't around. While all this is going on, they realize somebody is broken into the Legion clubhouse. Superboy and Monel quickly capture him, and it's Devm from the Adventure Comics 288 Knave of Krypton storyline that I've covered. He's there with an instant film ring 
taking photographs of their security stuff. And of course, Superboy recognizes him because it hasn't been all that long for Superboy since he'd encountered him. And then we go into a five plus page recap. Really, I would almost go full reprint. I'd have to compare them to the, the previous issue. But here, the big difference is the panel borders are kind of cloud-like uh, scallops and stuff versus the, the straight lines they used to have. I'm also not sure if they rearrange stuff from different pages, whatever I think they may have. But we go again through quite a few pages of Devem being a hoodlum on Krypton, him having encountered baby Kal-El, who's old enough to walk and talk, really begging the question of how old was Kal-El when he was rocketed from Krypton. But going through the whole thing of Devem having stolen a lot of people's inventions and broke into Jor-El's lab long enough to get information about what's going to happen with Krypton exploding and stuff. This is what gives Devem the idea of taking a, a bomb shelter and basically turning it into a makeshift space vehicle so he can escape with his parents. They all make it to Earth. We get the recap of him causing all sorts of problems for Superboy, basically banishing Superboy to the Phantom Zone for a while so he can toast his reputation, then releasing him as he takes his parents off to the future, because they've slept through this whole thing in, in their suspended animation. So we're finally finding out what happened to DevM after that, because he flew into the future. We get a quick recap of, yeah, Chief Parker convinced everyone it was red kryptonite because they wouldn't believe the real explanation. And they're like, oh, this guy is, is a jerk. Let's, let's turn him over to the Interstellar Counterintelligence Corp for punishment. At which point, DevM's kind of laughing because that's whose mission he's on. And basically, he was tasked with finding and nabbing this big cosmic spy, Moloch the Merciless, and was able to arrange a personal meeting if he could steal Legion security secrets, which is what he's there to do. And he's like, yeah, I was going to show that they were clear pictures, but before handing it off, I was going to hit it with the heat vision to kind of destroy the images. That would work. But the commander of the Interstellar Counterintelligent Corp says, you know, we've changed our mind. Superboy's more experienced at this sort of a thing. We want him to take over the mission. DevM is says he's okay with it, but we're not sure if he is or not, leading into part two. So again, a lot of this was covering just literally the same ground as Adventure Comics 288 with the Knave of Krypton, all of that backstory, and then leaving off on a note of can we trust DevM or not? And the other question it raises is, do we need another literally Kryptonian-class character at this point in time? Since at this point in this room alone is Superboy, Monel, and Devm, so two Kryptonians and a Daxamite. So we've got a seven-page part two to this. I'm curious what happens there. I'm going to go read it, and I'll be back with that. Next up is part two: The Treachery of Moloch the Merciless from Adventure Comics 320. This is the second part of the Devm two-parter here, and we pick up with. Superboy having been assigned DevM's mission and figuring out he's pretty much got to disguise himself exactly like DevM. So DevM switches into one of Brainiac 5's spare uniforms, which is pretty much the same color as his, uh, just doesn't have the cape and whatnot. And they make another fake plastic mask, because apparently those are easy to do lifelike versions of. And there's a, a pointing out of how strange of a twist it is that, you know, Back in the past, 
Dev M had disguised himself as Superboy for villainous reasons, and now Superboy is disguising himself as Dev M for, you know, good reasons. And I thought that was a fun reversal of it. I don't know if they had to point it out, but yeah, okay, fine. But they decide instead of bringing a film ring with, with pictures and stuff, why not fool this guy with fake security gadgets? So they take a model of the Legion clubhouse, basically add some jewels to it and bedazzle it, and then kind of some boy supercharges it. And then they take one of the pens that apparently they all carry, and Element Lad changes, I guess, the ink to it to Ultrasight or something. Lightning Lad zaps it, and we'll find out you know, a little bit as to what that does. And then Superboy, disguised as Dev Am, hops on a monorail and goes off to, to have this meeting. Now, it's happening at the Palace of Peace and Goodwill. And Superboy's thinking, wow, the nerve of them doing that. And we get a little bit of a tourist and how they've got these tranquilized globes or whatever to relax you. And cures Superboy of the headache. Or, I know, I guess, I was going to say it cured Superboy of the headache he had, but I guess that's the lady behind him. It's a little easy to lose track of where the thought bubbles go. And we get one or two other things, you know, a braino of the planet, Myrna or whatever, had, had willed all of the evilness on his planet into him, which killed him, but it's a peaceful planet now. And Superboy, disguised as Dev M, gets the, hey, you should come over here, and goes into this little alcove, hits him with a, a weird beam, and then he's transported to the secret meeting room of the Cosmic Spy League, and he's standing in front of Moloch the Merciless. Now, this Moloch guy has a blue and white costume, it's really baggy, and that's kind of ironic because this guy is huge, and he's got a similar hairstyle and whatnot. You could have convinced me that this was Bouncing Boy in a not-too-great disguise, just partially inflated or something. It's not, but it really looks like it could and should be. And Superboy has to give a little song and dance as to what happened in the Legion Clubhouse, because since it's lead-lined, they couldn't observe Moloch and company. And he's like, oh, I came in, said I'm from Krypton, I want to join, you guys really ought to have me. And they said, well, we'll think about it, come back next week. And on the way out, he, at super speed, stole a couple of their gadgets. I was like, oh, let me show you this, but shield your eyes. And he basically turns on this blinding light from this, this model of the clubhouse. Because it's, you know, it's a, it's a trap. If a thief, thief touches it, he'll get blinded. Okay, fine. Next up is the pen, which is like a, a buzz alarm and a sonic distress thing. Uh, they can track that in theory and find out where the guy is, where the Legionnaire in trouble is. And he's like, oh, you can use this to lure them into a death trap. And Moloch's like, hey, that's great. Let me pay you. Do you want cash or gold? Superboy's DevM's like, I'll take gold. He's like, ha, here's your gold kryptonite. And he's like, oh, you've taken my powers away. Why would you have done this? And his rationale, Moloch's like, well, you know, I don't want anyone in the Cosmic Spy League who's powerful enough to oust me and become the new leader. And now, DevM, you're non-powered, you're not a risk, we can kill you. And he's like, no, no, and the thugs in the room zap him with the ray guns, and all that does is get rid of the disguise he was wearing. Superboy's Kryptonian 2, why didn't the Gold K work? And it turns out the Gold K was Prote 2 disguising himself as Gold Kryptonite. And Superboy hauls these guys off to the Interstellar Counterintelligence Corp. Man, that is just does not roll off the tongue well. And Superboy gets back to Legion after dropping off uh, Moloch and stuff, and he's like, that's great, but 
how did Prody 2 come around to rescuing me? You know, kind of explain this to me. And it turns out that DevM was suspicious of the commander he reports to at the Interstellar Counterintelligence Corps. Because a while back, they had ordered him to get some gold kryptonite. And he had, I mean, DevM being Kryptonian, that's kind of a dangerous task. And it's like, go do this without asking questions. And he uses these, like, colossally long tongs to stay beyond the safe range of gold kryptonite, which I'm not quite sure how far is, but it seems to be, I don't know, 20, 30 feet or whatever, and deliver that back. And he's wondering if this could get used against Superboy, and since it'll strip him of his powers permanently, but he doesn't want to step in and tell the Legion how to do their business. Prody being telepathic, read DevM's mind, picked up on that, and he's like, hey, I'll help out, I'll go keep him safe. So Prody gets hidden in the cape pouch of the costume that DevM gives Superboy. Now, cape pouch is holding all sorts of things undetectably, a long-established thing of Superman-Superboy mythos, because that's where Superboy and Superman would hide their civilian clothes, including the glasses and stuff, by super-compacting it, whatever. Obviously, Prody doesn't get super-compacted, but I suppose it can be pretty thin. And then, when they got to the secret room and stuff, Prody read Moloch's mind, learned of the plan to use the gold kryptonite against DevM, while the model of the, the Legion Clubhouse was blinding everybody, he snuck out, apparently undetected by Superboy, swapped the lead box with the gold K with an empty lead box next to it, hopped in it, lowered the lid, and posed as the gold kryptonite, and clued Superboy in telepathically, hey, he's going to try to get you with this fake gold K, play along. So basically, DevM kind of proved himself as being on the up and up here, and obviously, Prody 2 was the hero of the story, of course, and DevM gets offered membership in the Legion, and he turns it down, saying, I'm set on working with the Interstellar Counterintelligence Corps, but thanks. Monel is just kind of stunned because it's like, it's the first time anyone's turned down the Legion. Well, it turns out it's not, because Stoneboy turned down the Legion back in Adventure Comics 315 when he was offered membership but wanted to stay with the subs. Now, as Superboy is flying back to his own era, he's like, just wow, I'm amazed DevM reformed, he saved me from doom, yada yada. I wonder if he'll continue to be law-abiding. Leaving open the question of, maybe he's not such a good guy or not in the future, basically the authors are leaving their options open, which is not a bad move. A little suspicious of Superboy, but still, good two-parter. I remember much later DevM having been part of the Legion mythos. I don't know that I'd ever read this story to get this part of his backstory. And in the first part, it reiterated that he'd brought his parents into the future. So I'm curious if we see his parents and, and what's going on with that. Because, again, I'm wondering if there are any other survivors, either from Argo City or whatnot, of Krypton. And by this point in time, has has there been any resurgence of Krypton or whatnot? But, again, fun story. It is kind of funny having some panels on the end with Superboy, Monel, and DevM. So, two Kryptonians and a Daxamite all hanging out. That's, that's quite a bit of, of power just right there. So, that is The Treachery of Moloch the Merciless from Adventure Comics. 320. Next up is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 77 and the Colossus of Metropolis. I'm not entirely sure who wrote this. The art is by Kurt Swan. It's a nine-page story. 
I'm actually not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. It's from June 1964. And technically, other than Jimmy, there's no Legionnaires in here. But I wanted to include it for a couple of reasons. One, it does mention he's an honorary member of, of the Legion. And this is the issue in which Superman has set up a burglar-proof vault for all of Jimmy's souvenirs and stuff. Because he's got all kinds of stuff, and you just figured Jimmy ought to have somewhere safe to be putting all this stuff, because some of it's a little dangerous. Now, we find out, or get reminded actually, that Jimmy has duplicate costumes given to him by the Legion. The ones we see here are Colossal Boys, Star Boys, and Sun Boys. I think he's got all this, I don't remember. But then he also has a bunch of super chemicals from Lori Lamaris the Mermaid. He's got an underwater breathing solution, which will enable him to live underwater for 24 hours. He's got an enlarging compound he got from Colossal Boy that'll turn him into a giant. And then, of course, he's got his elastic fluid that changes him into elastic lad. So he's got a full thing of that, which is kind of interesting, because at one point he'd, like, run out or something. He's got photos of his girlfriends, you know, Alora, the beautiful giantess from a distant planet. And, of course, Lucy. Lucy, this is another Jimmy dating Lucy, and it's not going well story. Really, the crux of the story is somehow Titano, the giant Super 8, has come back, and Superman's busy, so Jimmy's got to go do something about it. Or no, actually, Superman shows up, but again, Titano has kryptonite vision, so Jimmy's got to step up. He goes back to his place, dons the Colossal Boy costume, takes the enlarging compound, and grows. Now, the other part I found really interesting is he's got a souvenir from the puppet planetoid of a puppet, and he takes that with him because at this point, Titano's got Lucy, and he's like, well, if, he, if Titano sees me put down this puppet, maybe he'll put Lucy down. Sure enough, he does. More wackiness ensues. And basically, Jimmy's kind of able to, to help save the day and whatnot. And Alora, having seen that Jimmy has grown to giant size and they can now get married, shows up in the story right as Jimmy kind of shrinks down because the enlarging compound's only temporary. But Alora is able to take Titano with her and get him off planet because before she may have put him in the past, they never really explain how he got there. But Superman thinks Titano went through the time warp Superman was investigating earlier in the story. Again, this has next to nothing to do with the Legion, other than they've given him copies of some of the costumes, and for some reason, Colossal Boy has an enlarging compound. At this point, I don't know that they've explained Colossal Boy's powers and how he got them. And in some continuities, he's from a race of giant people that then shrink down to regular size. In others, he's just a regular guy who's able to, to grow. But I don't recall it being from the enlarging compound. I'll have to do a little research. If I find something, I'll come back quickly and, and update. Otherwise, this is The Colossus of Metropolis from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 77. Quick update. According to Superman Annual number 4, Colossal Boy's power of supergrowth was gained from the radiation effect of a meteor from outer space. So he is otherwise just a normal Earthling who encountered something that gave him powers. So where this growth compound came from, I have no idea. But Jimmy's got it and can duplicate, at least temporarily, Colossal Boy's powers. 
And we're going to do a quick Q&A here. Got a question from Michael Ho, and he's basically, hey, sorry if you've already covered this, but I uh, was wondering if you could tell me which era of the Legion is best for a newbie like him to start at. And he's watched the cartoon series, felt it was pretty good. He tried reading some of the comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths, but there were so many characters he got confused and stopped reading. And all the boys, lads, girls, lasses didn't help. But he just wants an easy way to kind of get into the characters, and that'd be much appreciated. And really, that's a great question, and one that I hear a lot, not just about the Legion, but really any comic series. Where's a good jumping-on point? And the truth of the matter is, it ought to be any issue you ought to be able to start out. Realistically, that's not the case. I think the further back in time you go, the more likely it is that the comics are accessible, you can get up to speed, etc. And... With the Legion, I think it's compounded by two things. One, there's at least four or five different major eras of continuity of the Legion. And do you want to jump in at the start of one of them, the middle of one of them, which one of them? And then there's also, again, the number of characters. Now, I think part of it comes down to, because I've had this discussion with James a number of times of just how overwhelming some things are. It comes down to mindset. When you start a new job, when you go to a new school, there's an overwhelming number of people to get to know, and their names, who they are, who you want to hang out with, etc. You don't have to do that on day one. You aren't going to do that on day one. You're going to get introduced to a lot of people your first day on a new job or at a new school. You're not going to remember their names. You're going to get to know various people over time. Some people you're never going to get to know. It's the same thing with a comic book series, be it the Avengers, the X-Men, the Justice League, or the Legion of Superheroes. Now, with the Legion, again, there's a lot of, of characters and whatnot. So getting overwhelmed by that is totally understandable. And along those lines, I'm going to suggest that you take the Bendis era of the Legion out of consideration, because I felt Bendis had so many characters in place so quickly that were, frankly, so poorly developed in that run that it's not a good jumping on point for the franchise. And really, the, the return on the investment I don't think is worth it either, because if you take the 12 issues of that Legion run. Add in the two issues of Legion Millennium before that, which don't really have the Legion in it, but build to it. The two issues of Future State that had the Legion, and then the six issues of Justice League versus the Legion, you're talking about a total of, what, 22 issues there? So is it worth getting up to speed for it to then just end? Now granted, there's a few more things where Brainiac 5 and a few other people show up in a couple issues of Action or Superman or whatever, but to me, it's not worth the investment given the shortness of that iteration. Now, I think if you go back to the early, early stuff like I've been doing here in the Legion Spotlights, it's very accessible. They don't expect you to have known previous things, and like with the DevM story I covered in this episode, they figure not only do you not know who DevM is and you haven't read that, that they, they recap to the tune of five plus pages his previous appearance. So the earlier back you go, the more accessible it is. So I think one possible starting point is the Legion of Superheroes, the Silver Age Omnibus, or any other collection of the early Legion of Superheroes, and jumping in at that 1959 era and just kind of going from there. Now, that has the advantage if you can pick and choose what you read, because you can skip a good chunk of issues and... When you get to later stuff, now granted, there are going to be some Legionnaires you may not have been introduced to, but if their backstory is relevant, it's going to be given in that installment, 
making it again fairly easy to jump on with. Now, another spot that I think could be a very interesting jumping on point is around the time I got into the Legion. Now, I don't remember exactly what issue it is, so the one I'm going to recommend is Legion of Superheroes 259. Now, this is the first issue of Legion of Superheroes as the title. As of 258, it was Superboy and the Legion. And there's some great stuff there. I think it's a worthwhile era to read, but this is around the point in time of comics that, again, when they made this sort of a change, they realized it's a new title, even if it's continuing the numbering, and the effort to stay accessible, I think, was much greater than it is today. Now, the other thing to think about if you jump on it around this point is you might want to consider seeing if you can get the Secrets of the Legion of Superheroes three-issue miniseries from 1981. Now, for some people this may help, for some people it may actually hurt. And for Michael, I, I'm not sure which side of this fence you fall on, because in these three issues, it basically has a framing sequence of something's going on with R.J. Brand, the benefactor of the Legion. It ties into the Legion's past. So in these three issues, they go through a quick history of the Legion, the origin of the various people, what their powers are. It's like a three-issue crash course on the Legion. Now, that may be exactly what you're looking for to to know who all these people are, or it may be exactly what you're not looking for because of how many things are thrown at you in short order. So, again, it makes it hard to kind of recommend is that a good place or not. But if it's just you're getting confused as to who all the characters are, that tells me jump further back in time when there are less characters, less backstory, and more accessible writing. That'll make things easier for you. The other option would be to start in on one of the later continuities. Now, I'm going to suggest that probably the better one to go with is the Reboot Legion post-Zero Hour. This is from 1994. It starts with Legion of Superheroes number zero, goes to Legionnaires number zero, then to Legion of Superheroes 62, and then Legionnaires number 19, and then those two titles kind of run concurrently from there moving forward. Now, as you can tell by those numberings, those were ongoing titles, and the previous history of everything from five years later, etc., had been going on, we hit zero hour, time got restarted, and we wind up with new Legionnaires and stuff. Now, this is mid-90s, so it's got the art style, the storytelling style of that era. It is re-establishing characters, it's introducing new characters, so people who had background familiarity with the Legion had an advantage, but not a huge one, because who is XS? Who is, you know, some of these other characters that get introduced? And I think starting in at the ground floor has advantages, because you're not in the middle of a story, in the middle of continuity, but it comes down to, again, how many characters do they throw at you, how quickly. Now, it's been probably since the 90s since I've read that era, so maybe it's a great jumping on point, maybe it's not. But I think that's the better jumping on point for the reboot Legion versus the three-boot Legion, which, while very accessible, and it was done by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, and all of that was from... That was from 2005. Basically, the Legion title had been ongoing. It did a crossover with the Teen Titans, ending in the Teen Titans Legion special number one at the end of 2004. That marked the end of the reboot Legion and the start of the three-boot Legion, as it's known, because it's the third reboot. And again, Kitson's art is just terrific. Wade has a really good grasp on the Legion backstory and stuff. 
We get new names for everybody. So again, everybody's starting out on a clean slate. It's got a lot of fun stuff. And so while I think that could be a good jumping on point, my hesitation there is this run goes up to, I want to say 36 issues. I should have done better notes on this part. I'm sorry. It basically runs until issue 15 or 16. Becomes Supergirl in the Legion with the then current Supergirl going to the future, joining them. Runs as Supergirl in the Legion for a bit and then flips back to Legion of Superheroes around issue, I want to say, 37 maybe? Yeah, 37. No, 38. 37 was the last Supergirl in the Legion. 38's the, the first Legion again. This is all around the time that the Retroboot Legion is getting introduced over in Lightning Saga. We then get the Superman and the Legion stuff. This is all stuff the, the book club's been talking about recently. And then leads into the Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds, which is by Jeff Johns and George Perez. I'm looking forward to rereading that. I thought it was a just a, a wonderful story. But again, and Michael's a good example here of getting a little overwhelmed by how many characters there were post-crisis, this takes this up an order of magnitude or two because it involves the reboot, the three-boot, and the retro-boot legions all at once. So you've got three versions of a lot of these characters, plus a couple that just didn't exist in some continuities, all at once in the full glory of George Perez pencils. So definitely could be overwhelming. So I think it comes down to figuring out what era is most accessible to you, what era is got the story and the version of the characters you're most interested in. And I'll be honest, for me... It's the original version of it versus the retreads of it. And while I've enjoyed them and they've got their own greatness to them, there are other parts not so great. Like the end of the three-boot Legion, when Jim Shooter was back on the title, some of it just art style-wise, storytelling style, didn't click with me as well as it could. Likewise, the five years later era, both visually and tonally, was a bit more dark dystopic than I care for. So, I mean, for me... I'm always uh, the type to lean towards start at the beginning of something and then go from there. Now, the other places that can be good starting points, go hop on like mycomicshop.com because they've got a lot of great information in their listings and go through and just find out, hey, when do we get a creative team change? And does the blurb for that issue where that creative team starts, does that sound good or not? That may be somewhere you want to think about starting. But we're talking about 1,700 plus comics over the span of decades, the stories change radically over those eras. The storytelling style changes radically. The names of the characters. I mean, if the boy, girl, lad, last naming convention doesn't work for you, the three boot legion does away with that. And therefore that might be more accessible. Maybe it's easier to remember the names or something. Downside to that, you're talking about a 50 issue continuity or thereabouts that ends in my mind, not so greatly. So is it worth the investment and stuff? Whereas again, if you go for the original Legion, you've got hundreds of issues and stuff to be reading and stuff if you can get into that. And again, if you liked the cartoon, a lot of that's based on the earlier parts of the Legion. If you liked what you were getting around Crisis, but it was a little overwhelming, go back earlier before all those characters were kind of introduced. And that's part of why I've started at the beginning for the Legion Spotlight, and I'm slowly working my way forward. As I hit things that I think are good jumping on points, I'll try to call those out, but as a longtime comic book reader, as a longtime Legion reader, 
sometimes it's a little hard for me to identify those things. So I thought this was a great question. I'm not going to say this was a great answer, but it at least gives you some, some food for thought. And maybe I can help Michael narrow it down a little bit more. And certainly if other listeners have thoughts on what they think are good jumping on points for the Legion and why, please jump on the Slack channel, jump on the forum, join in the conversation and put your two cents in because that could be really helpful. If you want to know how to join the Slack channel or the forum, there's instructions on the comicbookpage.com homepage. It's basically you sign up saying, I want to do it. And then you send me an email saying I'm basically a real person and I want to sign up. Here's the username I used for the forum or the Slack channel. That way on the forum, I can activate it. And likewise, I can do the same thing on Slack. The reason for that manual step is to prevent spam bots, which otherwise can literally overwhelm Slack or the forum and such. So again, a little bit of a hassle to have the two-step process. But it's a lot less of a hassle than having the forum like overrun with spam bots or worse, have that happen on Slack. So again, great question from Michael. So-so answer from me. Hopefully that helps. And with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.